Hello and welcome to Through the Telescope, the podcast that puts the lens on astronomy. I'm Rose Waugh and I'm an astrophysicist and science communicator. And I'm Elliot Bruce and I'm neither of those things, but I'll be trying to find out why we should even care about astronomy. We'll be exploring some of the big topics in the field in little manageable pieces and have some fun along the way. So, whether you know your red lines from your red shifts, or you're not quite sure what the difference between astronomy and astrology actually is, join us as we launch ourselves into the cosmos and try not to burn up on re-entry. Through the Telescope is sponsored by PicAstro, the astronomy and astrophotography image sharing app, dedicated to your images of the cosmos no matter what stage you are on your journey around the universe. No ads, spam or fake accounts. So, Ro. So Hola. <laughs> Hola, particularly hola a Colombia. Sí. Muchas gracias a todas las personas <laughs> de Colombia eh, porque eh, Through the Telescope es el podcast número uno yeah. on Colombia. Uh, yeah, we... I was uh, waiting to see if you knew the word for charts ah, in Spanish. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so for those of our listeners that don't speak, uh, probably butchered poor Spanish, Spanish. <laughs> um, uh, we we peaked at number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it astronomy? Number one in astronomy podcasts, astronomy podcasts in, in Colombia. Colombia on Apple Podcasts. Exciting. Very exciting. First Colombia, then the world um also i think last week or the week before we were number eight maybe in spain for astronomy podcasts oh, wow. but but we were the top uh, anglophone um podcast wow. astronomy podcast in spain so that's cool yeah reaching yeah. reaching all around thank you to all of our colombian listeners yeah, particularly to our Colombian listeners. Thank yeah. you to all of our listeners, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's nice to see the podcast doing well. Yeah. We hope you still keep listening, despite horrific Spanish. <laughs> uh, today, Ro, we are talking about the moon. Yes, a nice chilled one, I mm. think, this week. Not just any moon, but our moon. Some people call it Luna. Do you call it Luna. No, Don't we call the it the moon. The moon. So, Terran of you. So geocentric. Yeah, you know, I think actually it is. Um, lots of other planets, asteroids, whatever, have moons. So why, why should ours be the moon? You know, and the answer is just that's just historically what what it has been you know yeah and we named all those moons moons because yeah. of the moon um but yeah i do kind of get a when i stop to think about it i get a bit of an uncomfortable feeling you know because mm-hmm. it it should have its own name and it shouldn't necessarily be that all moons are are called that because <laughs> because of us well 
you know, in some yeah. ways there's nothing wrong with it, but it is just part of our egocentric view of everything, isn't it? Yeah. Um, our moon is the fifth largest moon in the solar system, which is pretty good going for a little planet like us. Mm, I mean, that's true. Yeah, that's a... Look at you. You've been scrubbing up. I've been scrubbing up. On your astronomy facts, I'm proud of you. Yeah, it helps with the, um, the kitty winkle again. <laughs> um, yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I mean, it's you true. Punch um, above our weight. But I was surprised to hear you say that, because I thought you were going to say, oh, it's only the fifth biggest moon. I feel like that's quite a common response when people hear that. Well... You know? We're recording this episode this week where Saturn's just got another 62 moons yeah. in one fell swoop. So, you know, I feel like... None of them are going to be massive. But getting into the top five when the larger planets have got, like, big, chunky moons. Not that those 62 are, like you say, but, you know. Yes, although I would expect that whilst bigger planets can probably more easily get bigger moons mm. i would also expect that the moons would suffer larger tidal forces mm. i mean that's where the the rings of saturn and, and other planets are thought to have maybe come from having once upon a time been moons mm, the fragmentation disintegrated essentially but mm. but yes i mean you would expect it seems logical that a bigger planet would have bigger moons, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes in space, logic, it isn't quite right, because there's another form of... There's other stuff going on that you don't appreciate into your logic, if you know what I mean. Yes. So, it is 1,080 miles in radius, or 1,740 kilometres, for those not in the imperial world. Um, yeah, see, at this point... We're reaching the limits of what miles means to me. Right, yes. You know, like, <laughs> going for a walk, going for a run. I've been trying to train myself to use kilometres, but miles kind of comes more naturally to me. It's what we're brought up yeah, in, in the UK. But, but once we get to these kind of numbers, that does not mean anything well, to me. Everything's kilometres at this point. To put it into perspective, the radius of the moon is pretty much the same as... If you walked 500 miles and then you walked 500 more. <laughs> um, yes. In the Proclaimers song. Which is about a third I'd, of the radius of the Earth. I'd never thought of um, the Proclaimers <laughs> in terms of that before. No? Uh, well, yeah, it's, um, it's quite a long way to walk. Yes. It goes to show their devotion. Yes. You see. Um, that is quite a long way to walk. Yeah, the radius of the moon. And then you put it into even larger numbers, it's um, then 239,000 miles, or 385,000 kilometres, uh, from the Earth, on to average, the to the moon. Yeah, on average. On average, that's its orbital it does, radius. It does have a bit of a, an ellipse going on. So, those are some numbers. Well, back to some smaller numbers then. Okay. Do you know how uh, how hot the moon can get? Well, it doesn't. In full sunshine. It doesn't have an atmosphere, um, and people have been there, and it's in the vacuum of space. 
So I would guess that it would be um, maybe about freezing or a bit colder. Mm. So zero degrees C, uh, <laughs> something degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> um, is, it, is it that? No. Okay. Far from that. In full sunshine, the temperatures get to about 127 degrees Celsius, which I can tell you in Fahrenheit, it's 260 degrees Fahrenheit. So... So quite hot. So how do people go to the moon and not melt? Space suits. Space suits. I guess because there's no atmosphere, that's fine. That's just the temperature of the rock. Yeah. Okay, so that's when it's in full sun. Yes. Right. In darkness, temperatures are very cold. About minus 173 degrees C. Or okay. minus 280 Fahrenheit. Okay. So it's a pretty large range. Well, that's quite nice in Fahrenheit because that then goes from 260 degrees... To minus 280. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a perfect flip. Not so much in Celsius. But yeah. that's a, a big range. Yeah. That's what, that's like 300 degrees C, like 500 degrees Fahrenheit difference. Yeah, very little temperature regulation really going on there. Yeesh. Okay. Well, I wasn't expecting that. That's like a bit like Mercury in a way, isn't it? Massive temperature changes between night and day. More so than this. But Yeah, I suppose Mercury and the Moon have quite a lot in common in many ways. Being a barren, atmosphereless rock. Yes. Hmm. Is the Moon then just rock? Like, is it is it all the same all the way down? Or does it have, like, a core, like the Earth, or...? Is it just rock? Is it too small to have anything like that? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> right. It's always good when that's the answer. <laughs> um, I mean, it is rock. Mm. It does have um, an interior. Okay. Similar to the earth, analogous to the earth, of a core, a mantle, a crust... Which are probably things that everyone is used to hearing for, from, you know, geography or geology in high school or whatever. Yeah, and they, um, I think we talked about it before, when you cut into the bit and they pull the full little section of the earth out and you can see the sort of yes. gumball-like structure or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So the moon has a similar thing going on. Um, but it's also quite different in some ways. Okay. The the core is only partially molten. Right. Um, it used to be very different to how it is now. Mm. It would have had a magnetosphere, so an actual magnetic field around it. Okay. Um, generated in the core of the moon. So as the core has presumably cooled... Yeah. ...then... Things it's aren't really its moving anymore, so it's not really making a magnetic field, so it doesn't have anything to protect it from the sun, hmm. um, which is what the magnetosphere of planets and moons, you know, mostly do. Hmm. Um, also, it would have had volcanoes as well. Right, okay, so if it's it got... Had, that 
It's similar kind of you yeah. know, rocky planet esque. If it's got thing. a core and a mantle, then you can maybe imagine volcanic activity going on, kind of thing. Um, but it's not. It's not had much going on. It's not been very active for millions of years. Hmm. Because the moon is, you know, it's um. I don't want to say it's small, but <laughs> relatively speaking, mm. it's quite small. It's too small to to really be able to sustain yeah. that because you need to have a big enough gravitational force to keep your core liquid. Right, yes, yeah. Um, the, the gravitational force that you have as a planet or a moon is what, is, is what creates a lot of pressure inside of your, mm-hmm. your body. And therefore, you have your core and get high temperatures and, and yeah. that comes along with that, like your magnetic field and mm. all of the activity. And the moon, whilst you know pretty big for a moon, <laughs> mm. is not really big enough for that kind of thing. You know, the moon is kind of similar in size to Mercury, as we kind of hinted at earlier. Yes. Um, now Mercury, and so. Mercury doesn't. It isn't able to sustain that either. So, given that it is, you know, not a planet, but it is quite big for a moon, why is it that Earth, as one of the smaller planets, not the smallest, I mean, why are we with the third or fourth smallest? We're similar to Venus, right? So Yeah, we're bigger than Venus. Okay, so we're like the fourth smallest, largest of the terrestrial planets. Yes. Yeah. Pretty good. For what we are. You threw me because you're talking about like the fourth smallest, and like, you yes, think of it yes, as the biggest. fifth largest. Yeah. Um, so, given that we're big in our solar system for a a rocky planet, a rocky planet, mm-hmm. is that why we have quite a large moon, or not? Like, why is it that we have a large moon, whereas, say, Mars, which I guess is m- the next most similar case. It's got two little moons, right? It does. Phobos and Deimos. So why... Why have we got one big one? You're asking the big questions. <laughs> As with many things mm. in astronomy, we don't really know the answer. Okay. It might help us to look at where the moon came from in order to answer that question. Right, yeah. So, moons can form in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. And one example of that would be they might form in place. So, as the planet is forming, and it's going around the star, you know, you think of your your um, solar system at the beginning and you've got the sun and you've got just like a a, a disk around the sun of dust and gas and other stuff Mm. that hasn't been sucked in or accreted onto the star. And all of that disk is what is going to become everything else in your solar system. So your planets, your moons, your asteroids, your comets, everything is coming from that disk. As a planet is forming in this disk, you could have a moon also forming in place. Okay. At the same time. Sort of like a, a second planet, but 
very small that's nearby to yeah the sort of two clumps one gets larger and the other one isn't doesn't get sucked in to join with the, mm-hmm. the the planet forming it instead forms independently and yeah. they reach a happy equilibrium where yeah. they and one of them is probably going to be getting less material than the other one you get some sort of imbalance in mm. the in the size of them um they could form instead in a kind of fission method. Okay. Where a planet spins really, 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 really oh, fast. Oh, okay. And some material kind of, you know, gets thrown off and forms into a moon. Right, okay. It, like, you know, gets, like, thrown off, but it doesn't escape. Yeah, yeah. It gets thrown outwards, but there's still a force of gravity between the planet and that moon that pulls it into its yeah. orbit. And it creates a kind of stable orbit yeah. in which you know, okay. something like that has happened. There are other ideas of how you could get moons as well, mm. but, you know, that's, like, two examples. Are, the, are these things that we are aware of happening... Or, I feel like this is, like, a stupid question. Um, are these things that we... I guess we, we, we've we not observed this happening, no. right? We've just worked out that these are possibilities. Is as that, far uh, as I'm aware, they come from simulations. Right, okay. So, you know, there are kind of two obvious branches of astronomy or two ways that you could obviously categorise different types of astronomy. Yeah. One of which being, take your telescope, look at things, collect lots of data, analyse the data. Mm. What does the data tell you? A kind of observational astronomy, if you like. Yeah. And then the uh, another side would be taking, creating models and simulations of what might happen for things in the universe. Right. So that might be how a star is formed, or how galaxies are formed, mm. or how galaxies, you know, interact with each other and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and disturb each other or combine into one galaxy, or how moons are formed or how solar systems are formed. Yeah. And we're not able to look at a telescope, look through a telescope and see, oh, there's a planet spinning really fast, well, a moon just came out. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but we could maybe, I don't know, look at how the the mass of the planet and the moon, how they're spinning, and then work backwards with sort of a theoretical sort of yes pathway, as it were, and be like, okay, well, if we added it together, then this would be this mass, and it would be spinning this fast, and if we put it into a simulation, that's spinning too fast, and then it's like you're at a potter's wheel, and yeah. your vase all of a sudden <laughs> throws a, a like massive glob of clay out. Your hand off falls off. Yeah. Do they use potter's wheels for that simulation or do they just do it on a computer? (laughs) Mostly on computers. Mostly. (laughs) The the odd potter's wheel, maybe. Um, So there are different ways that you could make simulations. You could make one that is exclusively, you know, mathematical or equation-based. Or you could have ones where, like you say, you input some sort of observational data Right, yeah. Um, a lot of 
them in reality are going to have both aspects going on in some way. Yeah, and I guess it also depends if you want to talk about, like, moon formation versus this specific moon, Yeah, as it were. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, and so which one do we think the the moon came from? Neither. Okay, <laughs> so why have we talked about those two? <laughs> okay, what's the third <laughs> method of moon making? I thought you might be interested. I was, yeah, yeah. Third time's a charm. Um, our moon seems like it doesn't quite fit either of these things. Right. There are various factions. Okay. That have, that, that side with various different things. Okay. On how the moon might have formed or whatever, but. And astronomers really. We faction hard. Yeah. It's like you put three astronomers in a room and you come out with four different explanations <laughs> or something like that. It can feel like that sometimes. Um, the composition of the moon doesn't seem to be the same as the Earth's. Right. Not, like, identical. Okay. It probably, therefore, didn't form in parallel with the Earth. Right, so that's the... It probably didn't come from the same, you know, strip of of disc. Right. Otherwise we would, you know, expect it would be made of exactly the same stuff. Okay. So does that mean we've captured it as something, as, as it being thrown out from another planet and we've grabbed it? We've grabbed it. It's our yeah. gravitational potential has been enough to... to make it into our moon. No, but that is a way that moons can can form. We wouldn't really expect it to have a, a circular orbit if if that was the case. I mean the okay. I, I use that term loosely, it's not like it's an exact circle. We'd expect it to be more of a ellipse or something. It's pretty you know, it's pretty circular in the in the loose sense <laughs> so it's it's probably not being captured because like you say you would expect something much more elliptical kind of more um I don't know, extreme do you know what i mean hmm. if if you captured it it would just be unlikely that it would happen to... to it wouldn't be circular. going around in a nice circle with the Earth at the centre. It would be yeah. more of an oval shape with the Earth at one end of the oval or something like that. Yeah, that was very eloquent compared to my well, my attempt. <laughs> Thank you. Let the listeners... I'm glad you understood them. what I was trying to say. Earth doesn't spin that fast. Okay. And couldn't have slowed down that much in its life. So it probably isn't the fission case either of throwing something off your potter's wheel. Mm. Um, also, the moon doesn't orbit at the equator of the planet, which would be more likely for this method. You find yourself in a play park and you are very unfortunate to find yourself on a roundabout. Okay. If you have something on a string... That's you know not stupidly heavy, but mm -hmm. or 
a sock full of porridge, if you like. Maybe well, we've we've brought a porridge. real random selection of things <laughs> to the playground today. Uh, I can't take responsibility for the sock full of porridge. That's a, a professor within my department who uses that on a lot, so I'm going to borrow it for this okay. toy experiment. Right. And you spin round. Mm. Your your um. Your porridge. Roundabout starts to spin. Okay. Kind of naturally, your sock of porridge is going to end up at right angles to the ground. Yeah, it's going to get thrown out the way, ish. Yeah. Um, so if you start to feel really fast. It it wants to be perpendicular to the axis of rotation. Yeah. So it's your your roundabout is rotating, you know, hopefully uh, around you standing up. Yes. Okay, so you're at the middle of the roundabout. Yeah, you can be if you want. Okay. And so, you know, your head is always pointing upwards, if you like. Yeah. And the porridge always wants to be with your arms, you know, wide, yeah. wide out. Mm-hmm. Kind of parallel to the ground. It naturally wants to do that. It wants to be, the moon would be the same. It would want to be in the equator of the the rotating earth. Yeah. And then if you if you went to a really weird <laughs> kids' playground and oh, you God. tilted the roundabout <laughs> so that now it was not flat compared to the earth. Yeah. And you did the same thing, it would still want to go out from the roundabout. Yeah. Especially if you went fast enough. Yes. Um and you would feel really sick afterwards. Yeah. But... It wouldn't it wouldn't stay parallel to the ground as it were so if you're saying that if the earth span really quickly or the pre-earth span really quickly and shot out the moon it would keep on going around the earth's equator even though that is not lined up with the earth's sun orbit in most cases yes that is more probable okay and the moon isn't following that kind of orbit, so... Right. So we've not made it out of the same clump of dust and rock. We've not spat it out from spinning too quickly for multiple reasons, and... We've not captured We've it. not grabbed it. No. So that means... <laughs> aliens? I don't know at this point. Um... Well, a common consensus is that it was formed in some sort of collisional event. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it would have to be a relatively large object Mm. to do that. It's not going to be a tiny, you know, comet or something. (laughs) Right. Um, And if, if you had something that was about the same size as Mars, this could could work hmm. therefore it's probably a planet right because Mars is you know it's a planet it's a planet it's, it's a pretty big object really I mean I know it's not huge in the solar system but hmm. it's not um, it's definitely a planet so probably 
the Earth at some point in its history collided with another planet, a mm. similar in size to Mars, and this planet often gets called Thea. And this collision basically ripped out a whole chunk of of the Earth and also presumably Thea. Mm. Which then formed into the moon. So that the moon would contain some Earth material, but also some, some other not. material. So Thea is the daughter of Gaia. Right. And Uranus. She's a titan. More importantly, though, she is, together with Hyperion... Uh, Interesting. The, ...one of the parents of Selene, the moon, um, but also of the sun and dawn, so let's not get too carried away with that. Interesting. So, so she's the daughter of Earth and the mother of the moon. It kind of fits. It kind of works. But it does kind of work. Kind yeah. of. Definitely with the moon bit. So that could explain basically why it is so much larger um, than other moons relative to the size of the planet. Because it's actually a, a remnant of a planet. Yes. But not everyone agrees that this is the method at which the moon formed. We don't really know. And I do think there are still questions, you know, like why, if we think that the moon has a different composition to Earth, mm. then why, if they're both made from Earth and this planet, are their compositions significantly different? You know, I, I think mm. that... I'm not saying that can't be explained in this case, but it that can't be glossed over. You know yeah. what I mean? I so yeah, it's very it's a very interesting question. Um, but that's also there's there's so sorry, it's just I just find it kind of the is that likely? You know you know when you're saying like the the sort of the go-to moon formation things are it formed along with it or it got spat out. Maybe it got grabbed hold of it, especially for smaller moons, I guess. Mm-hmm. But is it common that two planets smash together? Is it dependent on different bits? Well, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head how common... That would be. Mm. Um, I'm not sure, even with time, I could tell you that. I mean, I don't know how much literature you would have to search through to get any sort of answer to mm. that. Um, perhaps I'm just naive, but... Yeah. I... That seems like a difficult... You're presumably not going to have 1% of moons as a figure... Mm-hmm. And even if it was, then it would be caveated with of the moons that we've seen and we think we can explain. Yeah. Um. Um, I mean, what I would say is the universe is huge and one thing I've learnt from other fields is that there are a lot of cases in astronomy when you look at, you know, galaxies or solar systems or whatever where 
you can't necessarily explain something by one mechanism. Mm. And it's, you know, relatively common that multiple mechanisms are responsible for things. Mm-hmm. For the same, you know, the same thing like making a moon. Yeah. Um, and you can have things that seem... You know, relatively uncommon. Maybe it's one percent of all moons, but when you look at how big the universe is, that's gonna be a lot of moons. Yeah. Um. Obviously, that doesn't necessarily mean for the one particular one that you're looking at, the chance is that high. But, mm-hmm. but yeah. I guess also when you've got clumps of smaller rocks coming together at the beginning before the planet is even formed, that's not that. That's rocks smashing together. So in the grand scheme of things, it's just like two really big rocks smashing together. Well, during formation of the solar system, they're all a lot. You know, there's more material closer together. There's a lot of gravitational mm. things going on. Um, Was it a this lot of point? kind of pushing and shoving, if you like. Mm. It does, however, lead quite nicely into the thing I was going to say next. Oh right. That. At certain points in this, the history of solar systems and our solar system, okay. we think there could be a reasonable amount of kind of ardly bardly of planets. <laughs> right, okay. okay. <laughs> you know? Um, so is this kind of like... And planets do migrate. We know that planets migrate around stars, and by migrate I mean... They change their orbits. So you don't mean move. like they winter in one place and they summer <laughs> in another place. So they can be further out and then move in to the star okay. or move out from the star. Mm. Okay. And, you know, it's not unfeasible that perhaps that is directly responsible for an event like this or maybe indirectly responsible. Right. If Jupiter moved from further out yeah. and got closer, then all of a sudden... There's another planet that's now had its... It was fine before it wasn't really being influenced by Jupiter massively, yeah. but now Jupiter just got closer, so now it's, it's been... It's been yeeted and... Yeah. It's, you know, eventually been unlucky enough that that has then... Headed straight towards, in a sort of... Yeah. Snooker pool kind of way. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a kind of Hollywood style movie of Jupiter moves, for example, Mm. in this scenario. And then the planet just gets yeeted directly into Earth. Yeah. You know, it could be that then over millions of years. It's entered, it's, it's altered getting, its orbit, it's trying to work out where its new orbit is, yeah. stabilize itself, but in the process it's being shot round in sort of yeah. What's the word? Erratic kind of orbits until eventually somewhere on that erratic path, the moon, ha- the Earth happens. Um, yeah, and then the moon happens. And then the moon happens. And that's where moons come from. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. so I guess that's kind yeah. of like a fusion almost. If there's a fission method of moon formation, this is kind of the fusion method. Yeah, I suppose it is, yeah. Although maybe that's the accretion Yeah, perhaps that is a term that they use for something else, I don't know. I know as a kid and even as an adult, there's something about me that, even though we only see one side of the moon, 
or because we only see one side of the moon, and there is a light side and a dark side of the moon, maybe it's just the name dark side, even though I know that the bit of the moon that is light changes over time, I feel like the other side of the moon is in constant darkness. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That was a long way of saying that, (laughs) but... Yes. The dark side of the moon feels like it should always be dark. Yes. Partly because of the name it's been given. And partly because your entire perspective is from Earth. Mm -hmm. If it makes you feel any better, I've felt similar ways before when I've tried to make cartoons of, you know, how the phases of the moon work. Yes. And I've got, like, the sun there and I've got the Earth and then the moon goes round and then you colour in the half that gets sunlight because it's facing towards the sun and then you work out which bit of the moon you can see from the earth yes and yeah it just like twists my brain i'm like wait but where's the dark side of the moon (laughs) it's the bit that's not facing the earth even though you like you say you know it you you know that fact Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah it's a very romantic name, but it's not necessarily that helpful. Yeah. It's not always in the dark. When I was looking up um, things about the moon in advance of this episode, um, I saw that the first time that we'd ever seen the other side of the moon, the far side of the moon, was in 1959 mm. with Luna 3 and Soviet probe. But it was also weird because it then had a picture of the dark side of the moon in light. Because it's not the dark side. It's just the far side. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, uh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I find any picture of the the far side, you're right, we should call it that. We should remove dark side from It sounds more Star wars as well. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the word is. Not lexicon, but... Yeah? Um, whenever I see the pictures, I'm always like, what is this? Whose moon is this? <laughs> what is this object? Yeah. Like, you're, we're so used to seeing the moon as it is because we only see one side of it. Mm. That is our picture of the moon. And we see it throughout our lives... You know, hopefully a lot of people are lucky enough to see the moon quite a lot. Yeah. We really do know what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even if you can't draw it, your brain really does know. As soon as you see it from a slightly different perspective... Yes. Even if it's a picture of the surface of the moon where a bit of what you know is there and a bit of it is not the bit that you see... Yes. My brain just does not... what, What is this? Yeah. It's so alien. It's our, you know, our closest neighbour. Yeah. But the far side of the moon, going back to that, is featureless, but more rugged, and just being sort of bombarded, it seems. It's, um... Yeah, well, the bit that's facing us is not likely to have many collisions on it. Because it's more protected. Because it's more protected, also, the CNSA, the Chinese Space Agency, um, their Chang'e 4 
was the first um, probe to land on the dark side of the moon, the far side of the moon, in 2019. Mm-hmm. I say land, it was the first soft landing, which I think means it didn't crash. Um, <laughs> yes. Which is important. I think we um, had stuff fall into it before. If you ever wonder who it is that names those craters, it is the answer to all of these things is the IAU, the International Astronomical mm-hmm. Union. Um, so they're the people that are responsible, although other things have existed in the past and are still sometimes used. So there's like certain sites um, that NASA have named during the moon. Yeah, well, as with all these things, eventually, well, not all these things, but as with things that have been going on longer than the IAU has any power for, things that have already been named already have a name and typically a convention, and they will often stick. Yes. Yeah. Um, But some of them aren't recognised by the IAU, so it's just I just feel like it's important to point out that other... Naming things do exist. But, yes. but that being said, um, if you want to have a crater named after you, uh, you need to be a scientist or explorer who has made a significant contribution, preferably to the study of the moon and or the planets. Um so if you tick that box, you're okay. Second of all, you need to be deceased for at least three years before you get your crater named after you. Uh, if that also applies to you, I'm not sure how you're listening to this podcast. And number three, it can't be a duplicate of an existing lunar name. You can't have two craters with the same name. Right, but not everyone. That Not every crater is named after... An astronomer or scientist. Yes, so again, this is... For example... The current uh, IAU guidelines. This must be quite new. Previous things that other things got passed, so yes. This must be relatively new, because did you know there is a crater named Michael Jackson? Michael Jackson invented the moonwalk. (laughs) Um, Not even... If that was their link, then that is very tenuous. Do you know what? I I only thought that. It's... That's fine. But, like, <laughs> not a scientist or astronomer, is he? Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Jules Verne, also not an astronomer or explorer in the traditional sense, so... No. Though, there are craters named after Buzz Aldrin. Not Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> Neil Armstrong and Yuri Gagarin. Okay. Amongst other people. Okay. So that's, you know, they feel obviously in keeping with that mm-hmm. requirement. So we're doing very well for white dudes. Yeah, when I looked through the list, it was very heavy on the white dudes that the craters were named after. Did find a few exceptions to that. Uh, a couple of examples being Hypatia. Wilhelmina Fleming, which we talked about in the Stellar Classifications episode, yes. so you should check that out if you haven't already. 
I say she was the most important person in that episode, apart from Annie Jump Cannon, mm. who so I just feel like she also should pretty important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Zhang Heng. I apologise if I have butchered that. Um, but yeah, a lot of the others. So it's not exclusively, but. But pretty much exclusively. I did also. I was struggling to find um, people that weren't European white men. Fair, fair. Yeah. To be more specific, when it comes to creators, um, as well as uh, all of those caveats, um, Russian cosmonauts tend to be commemorated by creators around the Mare Moscoviens. That's probably not how you say that. Uh, whereas American astronauts are commemorated by craters about the uh, Apollo crater. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And the IAU says, if anyone else gets to the moon, we'll work it out at a later date and we'll pick somewhere for you. I don't know how they do that when they've already named how many of the craters, but yeah. Um, and I do just love that people sit on a committee and have to work out these things because there's also like, if you want to name a dorsa on the moon, which I had to look up what it means, and a dorsa is apparently a hill on a moon. Um, yeah. They, you have to be a geoscientist apparently under the newish rules. So they've got <laughs> a weird array of things. Mm. Um, Feels very much like a committee, doesn't it? Yes, and um, things like apparent oceans or whatever should be Latin terms describing the weather and other abstract concepts. <laughs> So, okay. when you think of the, the Sea of Tranquility, that's a weather term. <laughs> so, it's a nice tranquil sea. Uh, it's a, I feel like people name things and then they've got to back, mm. work back. Uh, I think they've got too much time thing. on their hands, personally. Oh, you've got to love a committee. Uh, but how many people have actually been on the moon so far? Twelve have stepped foot on the moon. Okay. Four of which are still alive. Nice. Which is pretty good going. Oh, it's pretty good going. Yeah. Boz still going from Apollo 11. David Scott from Apollo 15. Okay. Still alive. Charles Duke, or Duke, maybe, I guess. He's American, so... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Apollo 16. And Harrison Schmidt from Apollo 17. Is 17 the last one? Yes. Okay. So 12 that have stepped foot on the moon, but 24 have been into lunar orbit, which still counts as going to the moon. Right. So that is a bit weird. depends what you're asking. That only half of the people that went to the moon then set the foot on the moon. Yeah, we always have to have someone... Hanging about on yeah. the thing. Doing the actual... Keeping everything under control. So, uh, yeah, 24 have been to the moon between the years of 1968 and 72. Okay, so they've gone round at least. Yes. So is there anyone that has been to the moon twice? 
Yes. Three Almost. people. Okay. Have been twice. James Lovell, Apollo 8 and Apollo 13. The name Lovell seems to crop up quite a lot in space. Just an observation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know what to say to that. But... Right. Uh, John Young, Apollo 10 and Apollo 16. And Jean, now I apologise, I don't know if it's Cernan or Kernan. Okay. Uh, but Jean from Apollo 10 and 17 has also been twice. So, John and Jean were both on Apollo 10, so the mm. one just before the first moon landings. Yes. And they were then on Late the last times. and the second last one. So that's nice that they then got to, you know, yeah, go again. they've kind of seen, seen it all as well, yeah. haven't they? Uh, and I guess the same with James Lovell. Apollo 8 is that one of the first ones that actually orbits the moon in the first place. Yeah, it must be. It's early. Okay. So, so we've six got... other crew survive, as well as the four okay, so we've left got that have walked. Four moonwalkers so. and six people that have been around the moon, but not walked on it. Okay. okay. Yep. So and ten people alive today that have been to the moon. And all of the Apollo missions from 11 onwards included a moonwalk, because otherwise, what a point the exception of Apollo 13, which had Kevin Bacon on it, and something went wrong. Yes. Um, and we're going back. We are going back. Yes. Artemis 2 will return and fly by with Reed Wiseman, Victor Glover, Christina Koch, and Jeremy Hansen. We're having the first Canadian. Wow. First woman and the first person of colour. It's only taken a very long time. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, About 60 years. Yeah. So there'll be another trip to the moon and then eventually more moonwalks. So there will be somebody who is the first non-American to walk on the moon in the Artemis missions. Yes, if by American we use... Sorry, in... from the United States of America. Yes. Um, but this one isn't going to land on the moon, so Jeremy Hansen, the Canadian astronaut, I guess, um, is not necessarily the first... No. ...non-American to I mean, non-United not... States citizen to walk on the moon, but is the first non-NASA astronaut to orbit the moon. Yes, they're not, necess they're not necessarily going to moonwalk. They're not going to walk on the moon or land on the moon in the first mission in Artemis II. Mm. They may be the astronauts that walk on the moon in the next mission. That seems like a really difficult... Because the point of the Artemis mission... For one thing is other nations, other um, space agencies that align with NASA to get involved with moon stuff, right? There's like 
the CSA, the Canadian one? Well, the idea of Artemis Two is to set up a moon base and commercialise nice. it um, and export or outsource certain things to um, other companies. Right, yeah. And it should be collaborative. There should be other space agencies involved, but Um, it a large part of it is to commercialise it outside of mm. the kind of space exploration um, the national sector. I'm not sure yeah. what the word is I'm looking for, but yeah, the national space agency and into you know involving companies. Mm. So having a company that generates the electricity that NASA buys the electricity from mm. so that they do not they are not responsible for that mm. in addition to those 24 people that have been to the moon in some shape or form we've also sent 100 robots yeah um, over 100 yeah and needless to say the moon is the only place that humans have set foot on that isn't the Earth. Yes. So, um, what's the point? <laughs> why Why do we bother going? Or is it just like a goal to go there because the Americans wanted to beat the Russians and vice versa? Yeah, I mean, I think we've touched on that before. Have we not? Mm, um, maybe, yeah. The... The space race was not really about scientific exploration. Um, shall I read you what, what Artemis II, what NASA and Artemis II say the point of going to the moon is? Go for it. We're going back to the moon for scientific discovery. Okay. Economic benefits right. and inspiration for a new generation. Okay. Is economic benefits like job creation in <laughs> the space sector or um, um, are we mining the moon for we, helium-3? No. Um. <laughs> no. We have talked before about how we gain things from mm. space exploration. There are economic benefits and technological benefits mm. of doing things like this that are hard. Mm -hmm. um, it drives a lot of technological advance, which also then leads into economic um, benefits as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All of that jazz. I mean, we we do these things for lots of different reasons, don't we? Yeah. Everyone that is invested in in going to the moon this time or going to the moon last time would have brought their own thing to that. And yeah. potentially more than one thing. We all have 
put different values on different things relating yes. to yeah. huge scientific, you know, exploration and and things such as this. So you say that Artemis wants to have a moon base at some point. Yes. In fact, I think I've seen a picture of, is it Toyota that have got a prototype for a new lunar rover? The not rover. The, sorry, the the moon buggy. Yeah, but it like it's it, not it's, it's not a buggy. It's not a moon buggy. It's, it's like not janky. It's yeah. It's like a proper. It's like a people carrier. Yeah, you'd probably be able to buy it. Um, <laughs> not quite because it'll be like millions of dollars, but it like looks like a car on the moon. Futuristic. Yeah. Looks like something that they would have drawn in the sixties and said, "This is the future." Yeah. And that um, it, it is apparently. <laughs> Um, so when are we hoping to get onto the moon before, uh, I guess, at a later date, we'll start driving onto the moon? But when are we thinking of having this moon base? NASA's Artemis um, mission hopes and plans to land by 2025. Okay. Which has been pushed back, I believe, a little bit. Um, and then have a sustained presence on the moon by 2028. Mm. Because you've got to do lots of missions to set to take the stuff to set the place up in the first place, right? Yes, I think to to have a sustained presence is very different to visiting for a moonwalk mm. or whatever. So it will take time between first landing yeah. and and being able to stay there for you know, have people have it crewed. Yeah. For most of the time, if not all of the time. And a sustained presence is presumably also not, like, the end. Like, this isn't, like, the moon base is finished now. Because I think the ISS took, like, ten years or something. They built a bit, they were up there, and then yes. they kept on adding bits and pieces to it. Oh, um, yeah. It's not that by 2028 they hope for it to be completely finished, job done. But yeah. they hope to have it's just people staying will... there for quite a large amount of time. Yeah, it, their hope is that by then, astronauts, cosmonauts, any, um, what's the Chinese? Taikonauts? Taikonauts, thank I think you. the French is espationaut um, as well. But I don't know how uh -huh. often they use that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um... For them to be able to, st you know, stay there and survive, basically. They're mm. not living the high life. <laughs> they're, they're having a great time in some ways, I guess, because they're on the moon. But yes. um, there'll be a lot of work to do to make it into what, what they hope it will finally be, you know. Yeah. That's kind of weird. You'd be, like, the first people to live on the moon <laughs> for, like... A period of time. Yes. Yeah. But, and I don't mean to um, put a down or anything, but realistically NASA have had a lot of plans before to right, have yeah. a moon base. And evidently that has not happened. <laughs> right, yeah, that we know of. So, <laughs> you know, um, and things do and can get delayed and quite rightly should be delayed if they're not going to, you know, be able to do uh, 
a great job and a hundred percent you know be comfortable in how safe things are or aren't you mm -hmm. know um it's not things that you should be rushing mm -hmm. you should only do it when you're you know you are ready <laughs> mm -hmm. so we'll see how those numbers work out okay okay and they're not the only ones to, right. to plan a moon base china and russia together announced in march of 2021 right that they uh, were gonna team up on an ambitious project uh, called the international lunar research station right ilrs um, and basically you know the aim is to make a base on the moon near the south pole is that where is Artemis putting theirs down? Is that the same kind of place? Yes. Okay. They can be neighbours. Right, okay. Um, but we don't really know exactly how that's going and how on board they both are with this project now. Yes. Um, so, who knows who about knows? that one? Um you know, they it was a project that they said had kind of three phases to it. The first being the kind of preparing stage. Mm -hmm. uh, the second being like a um, a building phase. Mm. And then the third being... Like so. operational stage. Well... Um, and okay. currently they're kind of in the planning stage in the sense that... Um, not like <laughs> sat at the table with their blueprints necessarily, mm. but collecting data on all sorts of different things to give them insight and ideas and mm. inform them on how to go about making a base. Mm. So they have, you know, lots of robots that are already, they can use data from things that's already been collected, but also they have access to. Um, the probe you talked about earlier. Chang'e. Chang'e, yeah. Four. Um, which is still in operation. Yes. Um, and they're using that, amongst other things, to collect the data that they need mm. to allow them to progress with the project, if that happens. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and the plan was to start building by 2026 and that it would take about 10 years. Okay. Okay. So, so you know, in theory, not that far away either. Yeah, yeah. And um, China also has, I think, has it sent up the last bit? Or it's about to send up the last bit of its space station. And it's the only national space station in orbit. And if the International Space Station is to last as long as it's meant to last, which is not that much longer, then China will have the only space station in orbit of the Earth. So it's not it's not just NASA's um, doodah or Roscosmos anymore. No, it's, it's far from it. Um, and ISRO? Is that the... Yeah, the Indian, the big Indian. 
And he's got a couple. One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a different landscape from from what it used to be. Yeah. More competitive between different nations, different space agencies, and now different companies. Mm-hmm. So. It's a new phase of mm. space exploration. And, you know, probably most of us listening to this, speaking on this podcast, will we'll see a lot of that yes. in our lifetime. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting ride. Yeah. Well, I mean, the moon is very important to us um, in terms of life, having tides and other things that we are aware of. But it it does hold a particular place for us, sort of, culturally, spiritually um, and historically and now into the future too. So... I guess we'll see what comes of it all and we'll definitely be very excited for any future moon landings yes mm-hmm. it's uh it's kind of interesting you know our parents generations remember the moon landings mm. um my mum's probably going, I'm not, I'm not quite that old to remember it. <laughs> but, you know. Um, and I just think that must be fascinating. And then, you know, our, our kids' generation are going to be the same. If there is sustained presence on the moon by 2030... Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Then it will be a completely normal part of life. Yeah, we'll actually be living in sci-fi at that point, which I guess is the same thing. That's that's what you're saying, right? It's like the same, like, people could never walk on the moon yeah. than they did. That's so people could never live on the moon and people live on the moon. Yeah. It'd just be like the ISS now, which is not that weird. Is it? It's completely normal. You know, most kids that you <laughs> that you meet in life are like space, right? Yeah. And... It's so normal to yeah. to a lot of them, yeah. Like, yeah, there's a satellite up there that people live on. Yeah. You know, and it's like... And they'll... When you think about that, that's wild. <laughs> you know, when, with the original moon landings, it's like, oh, this is one small step for man and all that jazz. And, like, that's the, that's the, the video that gets sent back to the Earth, right? The transmission. Yeah. And, you know, they had multiple transmissions. Um, but nowadays we have the, hi, school kids, I'm Jeff from NASA and I'm floating and showing you how I can drink water in little bubbles floating about kind yeah. of thing. Or when in the UK when Tim Peake mm-hmm. um, went to the ISS, it was very much like, we've got to get Tim Peake to go around all the primary schools and talk to everybody and then he's got to like be on telly on the ISS and things. In, like, a decade's time, it's going to be like, Hi, I'm Jemima. I'm on the moon. If mm. I drop stuff, it still falls, but it's a bit slow. Um, and that kind of thing. It'll be like, 
that's when you start to get the real normalisation because it's like... Yeah, it's just, just you know, I mean, in theory, it's not going to be really that different to phoning someone in Australia. Yeah. You know, like my grandma has a friend, or has, I'm not sure, a friend who moved to Australia and they went from having to write letters to each other and, you know, how long does it take for a letter to get from Australia to the UK and then Mm. back? You know, like, that is not a short (laughs) Mm -hmm. amount of time. Mm -hmm. To be able to FaceTime each other. Yeah. You know, or a phone call even. Instant access. I mean, obviously, you've got the whole sleep schedule situation in that one, but... It'll be the same, right? It's mm-hmm. going to be the same thing. Yeah, but... Uh, I am Jemima calling into whatever primary school. Yeah. Um, what's what's it like living on the moon? Oh, yeah. it's great. How do you poo on the moon? <laughs> yeah, they will ask that. Kids will always ask that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Easier than on the ISS. <laughs> yeah. I guess on the moon... A lunar day is a month, so that. Although I guess maybe it's different at the poles. So, um, I don't know what the time uh, yes. the time difference is there. <laughs> I mean, you also have issues that you have to make sure that you are putting your base in a place that is in space. The you don't want the temperature to be as wildly, you know, as we discussed um, between. Going from really, really hot to really, really cold all the mm. time. Yeah. You'd rather have it one thing, whether it's really hot or really cold, because then your yeah. materials are not yeah. getting stressed beyond belief. Yeah. Um, and lots of other things as well. Mm. So you're, you might avoid <laughs> the, the night-day problem you might have no no day at all mm. you know you might be in a crater where it's yeah cold um but you can deal with that because it's not also going to be 170 degrees yeah later on so so you might not experience that at all and there'll be interesting psychological effects uh, mm. as well of that um because we are seemingly very programmed if you like for the 24 hour clock mm. you know our body clock really likes that it seems that if you are on the ISS you don't really have an issue mm. because the ISS goes around so fast i mean you have multiple days and nights in a day yeah, yeah. and it's like so removed from the 24-hour clock that your body naturally wants to do, that your body, it seems, just kind of gives up. Yeah. It doesn't try to fight it. Whereas if you had, like, a 23-hour day, right, if yeah. you started trying to live to a 23-hour day, you would, your body clock would not cope very well yeah. with that because it would be kind of fighting it, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, and it was previously thought that, like... <laughs> any variation your body would not cope mm. well with, but it seems perfectly clear from the ISS that's not the case mm. because they seem to cope perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, I did see that the... But, I think, you know, 
it'll be a different thing again once we get to the moon and how will how will people adapt yeah to that and, and we what, don't we don't know the answer yet what a sustained presence means as well because is it one person staying there for six months or is it like six years um or six days that time for one person you know what i mean Similarly, a fair amount of time. I think the longest on the ISS that anybody's clocked up is a Russian guy with like over a thousand days total, um, which is over multiple missions, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, like three years of their life. That was a long weird. time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. That's, that's, uh, that is a long time. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, presumably their plan is for long enough because you don't want to just be sending rockets all the time. You don't want to be doing, or at least not with the current rockets we have. Right, there's your six days up. Yeah. Um, We've got a once a week like shuttle between the Earth and the Moon. But you don't necessarily want to leave them for whole year either yeah. so um you know i mean i'm sure they have plans and they probably have published somewhere what these plans are mm. for their sustained presence but it's not unreasonable as well to expect that things may change as we learn yeah as we go through this development process and yeah. learn about the situation and have to adapt things and the consequences of adapting that one thing. What yeah. the, you know, what else does that mean we have to adapt? And yeah. 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 I guess time on the ISS will have helped with some things like keeping up bone density and like um exercise muscle mass, whatever, as best you can on the moon with reduced gravity. But like you say, there's new challenges of people aren't keen on being on a dark hole or maybe slightly off a 24-hour day. So, yeah. Yes. See what it, see what we find out. I'm not going to the moon anytime soon, so I don't need to be the guinea pig. Um, well, with that, good night. Good night. Good day. Buenas noches. Yeah, we'll uh, speak to you next week. So that just about wraps things up for this episode. Please, can we encourage you to subscribe to Through the Telescope wherever you find your podcasts, and if you like, you can leave us a nice positive review as well. It really helps the show, and it makes it easier for more people to find us. Feel free to send us any comments, questions, or suggestions of things or people you'd like to hear about or from in future episodes. Or perhaps to put yourself forward to chat about your own astro research or experiences. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Through the Telescope Podcast, or you can find me at astrophysicist underscore rose. You can also find us on Twitter at The Telescope Pod, and you can contact us by email at Through the Telescope Podcast at gmail.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye. Bye.